This is Saving Brothers with Philip Robertson on the Saving Brothers podcast. G'day brothers. Well, we're here and it is that time of the week again. It is time for our podcast. And you know me by now, brothers, that you know I'm always pumped and excited when I've got awesome guests and we always do have great guests. And today I'm catching up with Leanne Ellich. Leanne, g'day. Welcome to Saving Brothers. Hi, Phil. How are you? How are you? I'm amazing. I feel awesome. How's your day going out of 10? Yeah, yeah, good. It just got better. Just got better this very second. (laughs) I love you. And brothers, what you'll find with Leanne and I, we both can talk the leg off a chair. So uh, I reckon we're better than termites. We'll just gnaw But Leanne and I, we get along really great, and Leanne's one of our resident coaches, and she's uh, got an incredible backstory, transitioned from the medical fraternity into the business world, and we're going to unpack all of that today. But Leanne, I wanted to start out, firstly, apart from welcoming you into the Saving Brothers team, and as the brothers now know, because I've told them, you're one of our resident coaches. And you're also one of our ambassadors, which is way cool, and we're humbled by that. So what I wanted to talk to you about, firstly, tell us about your journey. You graduated Uni of Sydney. Tell us about that, Harvard Business School, clinical fellow, et cetera. Give us the backstory, oncology. Tell us about that. Over to you. Yep, sure. So my background is is quite unique, (laughs) Um, and the, the story is quite intriguing and unusual, but that's just typical me. I've always said I'm unconventional and conventional medicine. So I started um, as in oncology um, a long, long time ago, uh, mainly, well, initially paediatric oncology, so little kitties, kitties with cancer. I worked at Prince of Wales Hospital for uh, quite a long time up here in Sydney and then uh, on to as deputy director at Liverpool Cancer Centre where I had both um, just adults in Liverpool but both children and adults at um, at Prince of Wales. And we did a lot of work with um, neurosurgery at Prince of Wales where we um, we pioneered with um, Bo- uh, Dr. Bob Smee. We actually pioneered stereotactic program, which was treating both benign and malignant brain tumours. So with extremely high dose of radiation, to be able to pretty much kill all the cancer cells um, without disturbing or, you know, destroying any of the good cells because we have lots of goodies in our heads, so we need to make sure we protect those. Um, and um, the outcomes were just extraordinary. They were fantastic. So for me, technology and cutting-edge medicine has always been paramount. Um, I really wanted to be in medicine when I was a very little girl, very, very little. My mum bought me a game, the operation that used to buzz when you... I remember that game. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I loved it, but I got very frustrated because people would make it buzz on purpose. And I used to say, well, do you realise that if you're making it buzz, you're hurting someone? Because, of course, you're not putting it, yeah. And so for me, I'm... You know, I just thought, okay, this is something that I really want to do. And as I grew up, I, the you know, that passion got stronger and stronger. And then to a point where I wanted to uh, go into the, the, the realm or the, the, the side of medicine where there was um, an extreme need for support and for ongoing care so not just as a you know general practitioner I shouldn't say just they're they're extraordinarily clever and and are needed but where there is you know someone with a terminal illness or with a quite a serious form of of um of sickness I wanted to to go into that particular particularly so that's why I chose that and then went over to yeah um to Liverpool now at Liverpool we um was a little bit frustrating because we didn't have all the all the tools um, that we had at Prince of Wales. Uh, one thing I did do is a lot of brachytherapy. So brachytherapy is internal radiotherapy with radioactive seeds. So it was in theatre a lot with a lot of prostate patients, with a lot of gyne- gyne- gynecological patients, um, 
And that was actually really, that gives really good results too. Patient prognosis is, was excellent. So I love doing that. But then I got headhunted by a medical devices company, which was quite unusual because it was very forward thinking of them because no one ever did that. They never ever approached someone in the clinic with scientific medical background to then go and join industry. Sort of wasn't heard of back then. Now it's done more often. And for me, I thought, right, this is going to give me an opportunity to get my hands on all these really cool tools um, that I want and need and, you know, all of, you know, Australasia, because I looked after Australasia, we all need. And this is a way for me to explore global pathways and increase my network globally and introduce myself to these big companies overseas and say hey i want to understand the technology because i want to bring it into australasia implement it educate people train and actually change the way that we are delivering radiation and that's what i did so with that kind of framework um we were extremely successful and i was with this company for you know about 17 years and i absolutely loved it and then from there transitioned into my own business where I um, now do consulting with not just medical businesses but all sorts of businesses and coaching um, with that some similar framework um, to help businesses, you know, become more profitable. But if they have a product or a service, how you can use a framework to sort of um, create uh, more exposure and more influence within the market and using those tools to be able to do that. Um, in the middle of all that, I went to Harvard Business School. I thought, mm, what what do I do there? Let's do corporate finance because for me, <laughs> for me, it's totally different to obviously my background. I, it's not accounting; it's actually finance. For me, I thought I don't like it, but I need to get my head around the complexities of finance when I'm working with other businesses. Not so much my own, but with others, especially when it comes to you know um, working with venture capitalists and and you know funding re um, regimens and those kinds of things. I need to have more of an understanding. So I thought, why not? So I did that, and then I also did went to Harvard Medical School, and I wanted to upskill in genetics because genetics is the way the world is going, and especially in oncology and all these new new medicine. So the genetics, um, biologics, and uh, precision oncology, and for me that gets puts me in a position where a lot of the biotech and pharmaceutical companies that are working with you know drugs and working with um, you know suppressive drugs and uh, you know biologics and um, immunology drugs, it it prepares me and gives me a foundation of that genetic those genetic pathways to be able to help them when their drugs are going to cl clinical trial or when they are using them for whatever reason, it's especially with genomic sequencing because now, and that's going to be part of what's happening with COVID as well, um, being able to see the, um, the you know, sort of penetration of variant of DNA with the SARS-2 virus, which is what COVID is. And for me, I just wanted to make sure that I had my finger on that pulse as well. It's, that's incredibly interesting, I find, and, and really topical. I mean, with COVID right now, which, I mean, I happened to watch an interview on the ABC with uh, Lee Sales, and she yeah. was interviewing the lady who is the co-founder of the AstraZeneca. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he's a Professor Sutton out of the United Kingdom. Yep. And she was asking her the question around, you know, in Australia, we're going through a real pushback and it got really bad press, AstraZeneca, or as you know, around blood clotting. Yeah. But as she, and I think that was poorly managed by our press because from what she was saying is this is, and, and you would know this, this is not a, 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 bla a trailblazing uh, new drug. It's, a, it's an extension of previous drugs that had already been in use and now they're just taking it to another level. Would that be? Would that be in a? I mean, that's a very simplistic answer. But would yeah, that no, be? And, a, and that is correct. And there actually is a show I think is either on SBS. You can watch it on on demand. It's just I think called Vaccine, and it goes into that. Goes into the fact that 
and it, it's not just AstraZeneca. It's same with um, in Oxford University with um, Pfizer. Um, they uh, had, because we've been exposed to MERS, which was in the Middle East, so that is a version of, of the SARS virus. Uh, and by the way, just so everyone knows, I'm not a virologist at all. Um, so, uh, yeah, or epidemiologist, but, um, you know, medicine, this kind of medicine is medicine. Um, and they, and then we obviously had the SARS virus. So back, you know, uh, quite, quite a while ago. So there was work done on the fundamental um, sort of uh, sequence, I guess, of, of the vaccine. What they needed to get for this was DNA, which they did, um, and sequence the DNA to see what inhibitors would work to stop, um, you know, protein th synthesis and penetration down the DNA. So really they had to get DNA of someone that was exposed to COVID, have a look at the, the synthesis. And again, this is very sort of high level of what was happening to the DNA and then use that and map that and pattern that with the vaccine. So you're 100% correct. The foundation of the vaccine was there ready in the labs. Yeah, and I think that's part of the mismanagement of, of where the media um, irresponsible irresponsibility, because what they've done is they've basically made out that we've rushed these vaccines to market, which is really not the case from what I can see. It, it, it still is rushed. Um, I mean, it, it, vaccines normally do take around 10 years. And, right. and that's really not just creating the vaccine, but clinical trials go for that. Yeah. Of okay. time. So it's the clinical trials yeah. that okay. are, have been reduced, which is what's causing the anxiety. Having right. said that, the media, they aren't qualified either. So no. they're reporting on hearsay. And I can say that because my husband's a journalist. Um, yeah. They were reporting on hearsay, his sports day, not, not this. So, um, hearsay on things that they're reading but not truly understanding. There's been yep. mismanagement of what has been said. There's been mixed messaging. Um, sometimes people are talking about the Pfizer when actually they should be talking about the AstraZeneca because they are they are have a different base. The vaccine is different. Um, but, and it's just all been blown out of proportion. Yeah. And, in fact, in my hometown, as you know, in Melbourne, just this week we've had riots where... Oh. Construction yeah. workers have basically taken over the streets because they've and been told today too. I believe we had an earthquake. Yes, but but it's amazing. People were telling me about the earthquake, and if you look online, Chapel Street buildings have actually and there's cracks in roads. I was actually driving around where I live. I must have been in the car because I felt nothing. But I've had a lot of friends who, who said their houses shook, TVs were moving, the houses were actually swaying. So yeah. That's very true. I think it was 5.9 on the Richter yeah. scale. Yeah. At, the, yeah, at the epicenter. But I think on the, news, the the tradies and the, the construction industry obviously are being fueled by the union as well. That's a whole nother story. But yeah. um I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but everyone else's stock business. Well, not everyone, but you know what I mean. There's lots of businesses. Most people. Like, most people, exactly. I mean, I'm in Sydney. Where, where, where this is a repeat of what you guys did um, had last year. You know, we're in, in month four of yeah. lockdown and I'm in a hot spot where I live, so I can't move five kilometres. I mean, I say one millimetre from my chair, but, yeah, okay, that's over-exaggerating. Um, but technically, five k's from, you know, where we are, with, we have the curfews, only allowed to be out of the house for 60 minutes maximum. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really seen family since I haven't seen my family since May. You know, we, we're all struggling. We've all got anxieties. We, they, we've all got uh, a reason to be frustrated and angry, as do to the tradies and the construction. But we don't choose to protest and disrupt everyone else's life. No, and I think unfortunately, uh, it, it's been fueled by the few, and these people are latching onto something as if they're the ones that are hard done by. But if we actually unpack pack it properly, they've been able to operate in most cases all the way through the pandemic uninterrupted. So it's quite interesting. And I think, uh, uh, yeah, this is a prickly, prickly kind of time at the moment. But I reckon we can end up down a rabbit hole if we uh, 
on, on this conversation. We could talk about That's this. Right. All, all also, <laughs> vaccination also comes into it too. So it's not just yeah. that they're out of work. There's the you know, the seesaw of vaccinated versus unvaccinated, and I think that's what's fueling the fire also. Well, it is because there's been, there's been a mandate by the Premier of the state to say no no vaccination, no job. Yeah. But where it's very inconsistently, Anne, and I happened to watch Sky News on YouTube last night and they were saying they approached one fellow, he's got 12 of his staff double vaccinated and they've had to go off. And this is the problem. There's not a one-size, there shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all policy, and that's ridiculous. But, look, let's, I'm really, look, thanks for sharing that, your thoughts on that, and I know we didn't really talk, that we talk about that. I want to know about the art of communication. I mean, you are so passionate about psychology in business. Why is the art of communication just in business so important? Uh, I I talk about, well, I've been, studying psychological behaviours in business for, you know, over 20 years. And it stems really back to, I mean, what people need to understand, especially when it comes to sales, is that we're selling every day. Even, you know, people need to understand it doesn't have to be a transfer of money. It doesn't have to be transactional. Um, It can be a transfer of knowledge, a transfer of opinion, transfer of values, you know, even you and I talking now, there's a sense of you know a, a say a sales undertone to you know what we're what we're doing because we're you know sharing opinions and and discussing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and people need to understand that that's also communication. And when we are in business, we need to be able to understand each other and understand how someone wants to be spoken to, how someone wants it, not how we want to email or how we want to talk or how we want to communicate. That's important too, but how does the person that we're talking to, how whether it's a you know a stakeholder, whether it is a customer, whether it is a client, whether it is a partner, how do they want to be communicated with? And people have started, well, it's been a, a, for a while they sort of have been ignoring that. But what I'm finding now, because we are more virtual and I do a lot of work in um, with clients of how to sell and do business virtually to mimic as much as you can in the face-to-face world, we are becoming a little bit more reclusive. We have become a little bit less confident. Um, extroverts have... have, have I mean, I'm an extrovert, um, and you're an extrovert, but and we're fine. But those people that don't have the support, intra, um, introversion is starting to now. There's nothing wrong with being an introvert at all, but when it's not your default, and when it's not natural, it actually becomes a problem. And so, I am absolutely on a mission with the business and with the programs and everything that I do and the clients that I work with to get them to understand and put you know, um, frameworks and methodologies in place for people to understand how you need to communicate to sell in particularly. And I'm not talking, anyone can sell something once, but let's talk about the relationships that last 5, 10, 15 years and how to grow a business, a sustainable business and be in business with customers for that length of time. I call it conversational intelligence. This was a term that was created by um, Judith um, Glasser, who is, um, she unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago of, of cancer, but has left this legacy and has worked with extraordinarily successful, big, big companies in the US, uh, trying to get the executives and the leadership teams to understand the art of communication to project their businesses, which is exactly what they did in terms of Burberry. Burberry the Burberry brand absolutely transformed when, when Judith went in and worked with them. So I use, I mean, I, I use psychometric instrumentation. Um, there's only really three that I like and, and that, and again, I'm scientific, so it has to be evidence-based, has to be around for a while, and it has to work. Um, and it has to all be documented and data, like an influx of data. So uh, I use the DISC um, sort of profiling, which I talk about a lot. I use personality traits, which is 
part of DISC and then I use archetypes. So archetypes is a way of working out someone's business and their determined, you know, their motivations and emotions based on um, Carl Jung. So they're Jungian archetypes that I use back in the um, late 19th century, early 20th century. So I know others that use the DISC methodology as well. Do you want to just explain to the brothers what is the DISC? Because a lot of them won't know what DISC is. Yeah, sure. So DISC is actually an acronym. So D-I-S-C. And there are four quadrants and four colours that you um, generally um, uh, deviate towards. So we all yep. have a primary DISC profile or DISC preference and a secondary. So D sound, sounds, now I'll explain each of them, but I'll give you this, the name of it. So D is for dominance, I yep. is for influence, S is for steadiness, and C is for compliance. In the US, they I, I've found that SC stand. They also use conscientious. So if you anyone's looking it up and they see that C is conscientious, that is sort of more the American model where yep. the normal and this disc has actually been around for about two thousand years. The principle of disc has been around for ages. Um, it's not HBDI for those people that are listening that are, because the colours are the same, mm. they're, they're not re representational relative at all, but they still use. So disc is red, I is yellow, S is green, and C is blue. So we tend to, um, we, we do have a primary and a secondary. For me, my primary is I. I'm actually a very high influencer. Now, I'm not talking about, an influencer social media, absolutely not. That is not what an influencer is. When you are high I, it means that you can influence someone's decision, can influence someone in business, can influence someone to listen to your opinion. Um, you have a way of gravitating people towards you. Um, I do a lot of talking with very social people, eyes, um, very much the life of the party. We like to socialise. Um, that, that's sort of an eye. But in business and especially in a sales role, if now I, 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 I'm, I'm a, so what people need to understand, you're naturally like this. So I didn't become an eye and that's why I'm good at what I do. I am naturally an eye, which is why I've gone into what I do because it's what I know that I'm sort of good at and, and what I can reflects best on my personality i'm all my secondary is a d so dominant so not bossy bully dominant as in short sharp want things done yesterday uh don't always want the details want the one page summary um it can be assertive and bit pushy um but they have a they have a heart of gold but they just want to get to the facts they just want you know, they don't want anything that's verbose, which is quite um, uh, ironic that I'm an, an I and, and, a, and a D, but I am a very high I and I'm a lower D. S is for steadiness. So those people are very calm, very, they like to sit back and have a conversation. Um, they'll take all the time in the world. They will never push you or, or rush anybody. They like detail. Um, one thing is they're quite emotional. So if you're giving some feedback to someone uh, or doing performance management with an S, quite often they're the ones that will burst in the tears. Um, so that has to be managed quite well. And this is why it's always also important as a leader when you're giving feedback in business that you do understand these personality types. So that's an S. Um, a C, so compliance, is someone that is very regulatory. Um, so I worked with medical physicists. Now, medical physicists in my industry in oncology are the ones that make sure that the radiation coming out of the machine is spot on, that we're talking about precision, sub-millimeter accuracy. They can be a nightmare to communicate with, but we need them. We need someone with that kind of accuracy and precision default to be in that position because if I'm prescribing radiation, I want to make sure damn right that it is 100% correct. So with Cs, they're not really conversational. They are data-driven, analytic, uh, scientific. They are the ones that would take 
a manual and read it from the beginning to the end and several times. So they want to understand the structure, the dimensions, the specifications of something. And they, in particular, are not very uh, conversational. Um, they can be easily intimidated by someone like me. So if I'm talking to someone that is a C, and I'm obviously now very experienced in this, so I can pick personalities immediately when I talk to people. I know that I need to slow down my speech. I need to move my body weight back so I'm not as intimidating in their face. There's no touching. So not only am I Greek, but because I'm an I, it's like, hey, how are you going? Kiss, kiss, hug, hug. Sees there is no physical contact. They are very uncomfortable with that. Um, and they want data, analytics, and evidence. So they're the four quadrants. Yeah, that's incredible. And it, I think it's it's learning the language of how the other person communicates. And partly that is mirroring their language. Like I had a meeting today with a fellow. He's an IT guy. And I could just see that for me, I'm quite, as you know, quite extroverted and out there. And he was not like that. And for a while, he wouldn't even really look at me on the Zoom call. Right. You know, he was kind of looking down and looking elsewhere. And I could see that I had to really pace myself, slow my breathing down, and yep. so that he would not be overwhelmed. Yep. Yeah, and, and really yep. just back back it up a few notches and, and realise that the information I was going to send him around property, I could see this is going to be a, a series of steps as opposed to him saying, yep, Phil, let's go, let's do this. Yeah, He's right. going to want to take the information. And because he, he, he made inferences to the, I said, look, I'm happy to provide you with references. Yep, that would be the next step. So I can see he's going to want to go away, pull but it all apart. Yeah. He would be he's absolutely a C. And definitely C, a C. what happens with C's when you have meetings and and C's aren't that comfortable on, um, which is what I like, also teach. C's aren't that comfortable on Zoom. Um, S's, so the, the people who are steady, are the most uncomfortable. They will hide away on a Zoom call and on a virtual meeting. They are the ones that really struggle the most and C's are the next. But And quite often C's can come across as not interested, but they actually are just that they're listening to every syllable every vibration of sound because they don't want to miss any vital information just in case because it might impact the decision and they will be responsible for that. So what he might have even been doing is listening to you and trying to, you know, um, understand, interpret what you were saying. He might have even been writing notes and it will need to be in stages for a C because they can't be overwhelmed and they want to analyse every single step. So yeah, he wants to download he wants to down do a download. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Psychology, neuroscience, we yep. use them in personal and professional senses. Yeah. Let's, let's have a little bit of a – tell us a bit about that. So, look, to, we look, psychology and neuroscience is our makeup. Um, I mean, everything that we do comes down to neuroscience, obviously, you know, the psychoanalytical aspects of ourselves and – life experience, to be honest. And do you want to, sorry to interrupt, Leanne, do you want to, for our brothers, unpack what is neuroscience? Like, let, let's sort of bring that to a level that the guys can understand what, what is neuroscience. Sure. So neuroscience is, is, is different to psychology. So psychology is the, still the understanding of the mind and the um, different parts of the brain and how that works in terms of um uh, you know our 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 speech, our language, our motivation, our you know um, you know cognitive, cognitive movement, our movements, our all that kind of stuff. So psychology is the sort of unpacking of how we think, our thoughts, and and all that that sort of you know analytical yep. work. Neuroscience is more the um, expression of hormones and expression of. Um, of chemicals, so the chemistry of the brain and how we interpret things. So how when we are communicating, so neuroscience is used very heavily in communication and it's how we understand one another. So not, I'm, I'm not even talking about the words that you're saying and how I'm understanding and, you know, your, the communication and the conversation that we're having. 
but it's the understanding of how I'm feeling. So do I feel that I'm in a safe environment? Are you making me feel um, uncomfortable or comfortable? So am I in flight or, or fright mode? So, you know, using, you know, the balance of the cortisol, which is at the back of the brain, and the oxytocin, which is the good hormone at the front of the brain, and understanding the balance and the seesaw between those hormones and those chemicals as we go about our day-to-day -day business and how we communicate and how we talk and have conversations and and make decisions. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's that's a lot. Let me ask you, favourite topics, sorry, favourite tools and resources that relate to this discussion? Can you give us some of those? Sure. I mean, I, I've, I mentioned about the, the those three, you know, psychometric tools that are really important. Um, so DISC personality traits, which is different, and archetypes. But also... In terms of, you know, being able to, well, another good tool is my book, but anyway, that's, <laughs> that's another Well, story. we're going to talk about that. We want yeah, to talk about business mastermind. Yeah. Um, but, you know, understand, it is important to understand your way of communicating, your way of doing business, your way, your preferences, um, and then translating that to having a proper conversation with someone or communicating with someone on the same level. Now, what's also happening, and I recently published an article, which you, I think you saw on LinkedIn, about the, the moral dilemma of automation um, and how, you know, this for me is a problem. We, I mean, in terms of automation, I mean, I'm a fan through and through. I've been I'm in medicine, um, AI and machine learning, we have used in oncology for forever. You know, medicine was was really the 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 instrument that started, you know, artificial intelligence and being able to look at organs and look at different parts of the body and create 3D models. Um, there is a place absolutely to streamline, to automate. There is a certain task that humans should not be doing because we are an intelligent species and that we can put our minds and our genius to something else. So there are things that should be automated and can be automated and that, that's fine. But when it starts talk we start talking about the you know um, having conversations with one another, understanding emotion, automation can't do that. And right. and we even I mean I know automation is based on the inputs from humans, but we also secrete hormones and chemicals to change the way that we interact. I just talked about cortisol, the back of the brain, and oxytocin at the front of the brain. How does a computer do that? How does a robot that is super duper sophisticated, but how do they do that and adjust? We can program it, and obviously the, the software can learn to do it. But again, situations pivot and change very quickly. So, for me, understanding these these particular tools, and I've given those you know those three tools in particular, and also yourself and how you perform at your best, um, that then provides a really good environment and a really psychological safe environment for people to operate. So, it, yeah, I'm just super-duper passionate about making sure that people are in a, in a way, in an environment and in a safe way communicating to bring the best out of each other. And that's also comes down to leadership because that's what good leaders do too. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a big difference between being a, an effective leader and a leader that leads by the stick because they're you know they're the boss. Yeah, I um I was on ABC Radio actually. They um they contacted me to do a piece on I was on yeah radio um not on TV on radio um about leadership in politics. And I, when they rang me to talk about, it, I said, look, I can't. I'm not going to get political because you know, politics, it, 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 that's a hard topic to discuss, especially at the moment. It's even worse. It's so, on the nose. <laughs> so I said, look, I'll talk about the leadership. And one thing, you know, I had to say is political leadership is very different because political leadership, 
when you're in politics, you're in for personal gain. You're in there to get the most votes. You're in there to be competitive. You're in there to push out a, another contender. You're in there to win, 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 to be the most popular, 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 popular. So just because you're a leader doesn't mean you have leadership qualities. Yes, and very all, true, very and, true. Yeah, and I honestly think they need to, to put in some kind of, I mean, we, we have seen how our leaders have led and some of it has not been good and has there has not been leadership qualities even though they are leaders and it is because you know that politics is personal gain now a leader is very collaborative someone who is a really good leader has a team around them that they inspire that that they're a role model they 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 teach them the skills to become good leaders themselves but that's not actually seen. And that is really, really important. Yeah, and we're, we're really seeing, I think, this whole COVID journey has revealed a failure in our political system in as much as some of these leaders are leading by fear, leading by the stick, and they're not, and they are, there's narcissistic behaviour, there's grandstanding. I think it's, for, for us, you and I in Australia, I think we've seen a great failure in yeah. leadership, quite frankly. And again, that that comes down to those those points that you just said, which are perfect. Um, is comes down to that personal gain. Yeah. You know, in it for me, what will make? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm going to then I'll change a little bit of direction. Your periodic table of sales. I mean, I've been in sales myself professionally for many many years, so I'm fascinated how you've come up with this. <laughs> So that just so the, so my book is actually um, called is solving the sales equation. So for me, business when you break down business and break down sales, it is scientific. In fact, everything is scientific. Even ourselves, we are made up of all different matter, all different molecules, all different. That that that's what we are. We're organic, and for me. You know, the business should be organic as well and sales should be organic. So my yeah. background obviously being scientific and technical is and having used, especially, um, you know, later in my career also, even though I was in radiation therapy, we still work very closely with, you know, um, medical oncology, which is chemotherapy. So chemotherapy drugs and, the, you know, the use of, you know, chemistry. So the periodic table has always been the forefront of my, my learnings and um, it's something that is you know, instrumental in life, that we, you know, it exists, we exist because it exists technically. So someone just had the, the knowledge and the intelligence to put it together in a table and understand the elements and, of, of life. For me, it's the same in, in business. So what I did, instead of the 67 or 68 chemical elements, I... Um, some of the tiles of each of the elements I sort of amalgamated and I created 21 elements. The shape of the periodic table is identical. I actually have a, a card here. It's actually identical. The shape is the same. The shading of the groups is identical. So as you would see with oxides, metals, gases, so there's the different shadings of the groups. But they're all business elements. So there's sales elements, business elements, leadership elements, and there's 21. Um, each um, of these elements forms into a group like you would with the gases, the oxides and metals, and this is what makes up my equation. So I'm a huge fan of Einstein. Einstein's a Pisces, so am I, um, and he was brilliant. And I have always loved him, plus he's got crazy hair and I just happen to have crazy hair as well. But um, one thing is he's got E equals MC squared. And years ago I thought to myself, I want my own equation. Why can't I make mark one? So I did. So the equation is um, M plus S times T equals I squared. And that basically is mindset plus skill set times toolkit equals influence squared so it's not just influence and it's an exponential ver version of influence so the mindset group is on the periodic table the skill set groups on the periodic table and the toolkit group is on there and then the influence is the section at the bottom 
And so when you put all these building blocks together, um, you have elements from the mindset that you would use with the toolkit and you've got different components of each that need to be used in a different business situation. That's when you create a significant amount of influence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, I think, ties back to the DISC analysis yeah, that you gave. I mean, everything I do integrates. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, integrates. Love, love it. Right. If you can understand someone's personal personality, uh, their personal traits, you are one step closer to creating that exponential influence. Absolutely. Yeah. But then you need the tools and the and the learnings to be able to then put it into practice, and that's what I do. And that's what I think it's almost like. I, sorry, Leanne, interrupt. I think it's almost like having the combination to unlock and open up the doors and pull down the barriers to create a great business environment to do good business with someone, particularly of when you can get that right, as you say, influence squared, is around you've lined all those other prerequisites up in order to be able to create a long-term business relationship. Absolutely. And the equation is in that order for a reason because you need to start with mindset. You need to start with the yes. desire, the passion, being optimistic. No one yep. in business that was successful who was a pessimist um, or certainly in sales. You need to have that self-optimism, um, that, that care, that desire, that competitiveness. So that's the mindset. So I'm not talking about mindset as in keeping calm and being mindful. I mean being in a having a business mind and putting yourself yep. in a particular mindset to really be ambitious and driven and, you know, just – you know, having that that mission, um, that has to come first before you can perfect your skills and your business acumen. Because if you are not in the right mindset, you're not going to perfect the skills. You might do a you dabble in a few, um, but you won't perfect them. So you need to be have the right mindset, so then you can perfect the skills to the best of your ability, most you know optimum you know uh, presence that you can have. Then you need to execute. So how do you execute it? Use your tools. So that's the next step, using your tools, using frameworks, methodologies, all that's in, in, in what I teach to then, so you've got your mindset, so you're set up, you've got your skills perfected and developed. Then you use the tools to be able to execute. So when you've got all that lined up, and DISC is, is one of the tools, absolutely, and archetypes, that's when you create that influence. And the influence, exponential influence or influence squared is, long-term sustainable business, long-term sustainable selling. So having clients for 20 years, having, you know, customers for 20 years, long-term. And when I, you know, even with my existing clients, I find they're craving this. And I think the situation that we've been in now where we've lost that face-to-face -face contact and that social aspect of being human, people are now craving this kind of, of interaction so these, you know, digital selling, as much as that is still important, people want to speak with people. And people buy from people. People communicate. Of course with they people. do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you yeah, use the word. It's uh, why you sell. It's not hmm. always the product itself or the service. So, yeah, and you yourself, if you're an expert in the product and an expert in, in the service you're providing, you yourself are the product. And that's what people want to connect with. Oh, definitely. And I think really you've got to have your psychology set up right. Uh, and one of the things I always learned was before you go into a sales call is visualise that call going really well and see yourself leaving that person's office or place of business, thanking you with their smile and you walking out in your mind with the order. Yeah, and and that was a great way to set up. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So... Gravitate. So the worst thing people do, and this is something that I, every time I, I, I teach this and, and I speak about it, no one ever does it, but they do it after I, I talk to them about it because I won't let them not, is going into a sales meeting or a sales call with no outcome. Quite often they'll go, oh, I've just, I know that I want to speak to so-and-so and talk about the product. And it's like, okay, that's great, fantastic. Then what? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> You know, do you want another meeting? Do you want to, you know, yeah. are you going to What's your goal and objective? What, what is the outcome of the meeting? And how yeah. it's out 
and it's like what you're saying, you know, have the thinking at the end, you're going to be shaking your hand and saying goodbye and, and they're going to have a big smile on their face and they're going to look forward to your next phone call, your next meeting, your next product brochure that you're going to send, whatever it is. But people don't do that. And no. to be honest, the customer is waiting for that. That They want an outcome too. And when we don't give it to them, that's a missed opportunity. Well, I think a lot of people want to be led. They want you to lead that sales journey. So you're wanting to set this up, the transaction up correctly. So you're going to take them through a journey with an outcome. Yeah. Very important. Absolutely. I wanted to jump into some of your struggles. What are some of the struggles you've had along the way? Oh, gosh. Uh, we've all had struggles. Um, we've all had failures. We've had, yeah. I mean, we learn from our struggles. We learn from our failures. How we grow. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I wrote um, on Friday, wasn't it, make failure your favourite F word, you know, because failure and failback's like, failure is like feedback. Um, and Roll your way to success. Yeah. If you don't feel you're not going to grow. But, I mean, besides that, I've struggled with um, not understanding corporate life and being in a corporate, in a corporate role. Um, I've struggled with ethics of business. Um, for me, and that just comes back to my background, you know, sort of as a clinician and doing, you know, being fair and doing the best thing that I can for someone. Um, ethics for me, and, and it happens, you know, there's ruthless business people everywhere and I, I really do struggle with ethics. Um, I've struggled with my health big time. So along the way I've struggled with um, some serious conditions um, things that still play a part now. Um, obviously, you know, I'm perfectly fine. So, you know, everyone's thinking, she looks okay. I am okay. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, and, you know, I've had some very ser serious, um, um, yeah, issues and, and, and problems. But, you know, that makes you stronger too. And you learn from that as well. So no one should think that an illness or a disease or whatever is or is a failure either. It is actually important for your body and your mind to go through that, to come out the other side, to see how resilient and strong, you know, you are. But I have struggled with, with um, health. Uh, the struggle is um, I'm, and I don't know who to blame for this, <laughs> not that it's anyone's fault, but I'm an absolute perfectionist. And that actually causes me problems because nothing is ever good enough, including myself. Um, I feel quite often that, you know, you could have done that better, could have done that better. And my expectations of myself, I know, are unrealistic, but um, it is hard to learn to be kind to yourself. And I always tell, I, I need to practice what I preach, Phil. Honestly, I tell other people. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to say no. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay, to, you know, make sure that you look after yourself. And then I turn around and I'm, oh, I don't do that to myself. But, you know, we, we there's always, you know, all, it makes up who we are, that, that my personality is the way it is because of that. And, you know, other people find that great. Others think I'm crazy. But, you know, it, it is. We all have struggles and we all need to push through them. Yeah, absolutely, and, and it's very easy for us. To, it's, I find myself giving other people advice and direction, but often our own self-care because we're harsh critics on ourselves. We have high expectations of performance, and I actually find that I can get quite lazy. So if I'm not at times tough on myself, I kind of feel like I'm in my heart, am I really doing the best job that I could be at this task at the time? But having said that, with the whole Keep Five Alive, number one is self-care. So that's, that's really, really and important. And Keep Five Alive is so important. I and mean, we've discussed this before. I just think that concept is brilliant. Um, I, I've actually spoken with so many people about it because it's it's concise, it's with the right context, and it basically it doesn't labour the fact that if you are not okay, you're not going on and on and on about it. It's like, you know what, I'm just not okay. Right, what do we do? You know, yeah. it's, and it's you know, okay not to be okay, by the way. Absolutely. We absolutely. all have those days that are like this. Look, I mean, I, um, even through my illness, I mean, there were days when I was really not okay. But, um, you know, at, 
that I had to be, again, kind to myself and go, well, it's all right. You know, look what your body's going through. Look how you're feeling. Look at the, you know, the external yeah, elements. And go, right, okay, I've acknowledged it. And if I need help, I'll get some help. If I'm okay, I'm okay. It's just what I need. Sometimes I just need a cup of tea and it fixes things, you know, yeah. um, just to sit down, just a, a talk to, with a girlfriend on the phone. Sometimes things like that, that's all you need to sort of, you know, just change your, your mindset and the way that you're feeling at that moment. But it's perfectly fine yeah. to, to not feel good. Absolutely. Now, your program as a resident coach, Business Mastermind, can you give us a bit of an overview for the brothers that don't know about your program and the sort of people that you think this would be applicable for in terms of them working with you? I know you do a lot of live group work in particular. Yeah. Could you yeah. just walk the brothers through what would actually be in it for them and, and who yeah. this would be would be beneficial for, please, Leah? Sure, absolutely. So um, I run the Business Mastermind Program and workshops and, and coaching. So it is for really anyone in business. My background, yes, is, is medicine or is medical, and I do get a lot of clients that gravitate towards me that are in the medical field, but I work in all areas and all, you know, very diverse industries. Um, when people need help within their business to go for go-to-market strategies, to be able to communicate their brand, to become more visible, to create um, differentiation. I mean, you know, biz the business world is busy. The marketplace is busy. And there are certain strategies that you need to put in place to create differentiation. So I run um, the business masterminds at the workshops that are yet yeah, live and online. Now I also do them face to face, but I yeah do live workshops. So the the signature workshop is six six weeks, um, two hours a week, and there's you know lots of things that we do in that, and uh, lots of homework, and lots of development and tools and learning learning tools. I also do bespoke programs for companies. So that's where I actually go in and look at skills gaps, look at areas that need working on you know work on um even from a strategic standpoint and put together a program that is dedicated for that business and their outcomes and how they need to engage with their sales team or their marketing team or their leadership team to be able to project the business and then i do one-on-one -on -one coaching so one-on-one -on -one coaching it can be either sales or business but i also do executive and leadership coaching also Fantastic. And, and let's face it, I think a lot of people in business are frustrated. I mean, I've, I've gone through ch plenty of challenging times where men get the forks in the road. They're not quite sure which way to go. And I think one of the things you're going to be able to bring for men is also clarity. Yeah. Because when you're, very in business, you're so in your business yeah. and being able to, you be with your expertise from the outside, you're going to pick up things that are, to you are going to be quite obvious, but perhaps things that they are what I call unconscious incompetence. They don't know what they don't know. That's right. And also when you are involved in your own business, you can't see, you, you know, you, you can't see what's happening. So having someone with experience, you know, look, you know, into, you know, have, you know, look, stand for, on the balcony and look down with a unique yeah. lens, there's, there's a lot to say um, about that. And the, um, I was going to say something else. And also when I do the bespoke programs, you know, it's quite often that you pick up things that they're not even aware of. I'll, you know, I'll say, well, you know, this is happening or this is happening or we need to do this, need to do that. They don't even realise because it's day-to-day -day work, it's day-to-day -day practice, and whether it's good or bad, it just happens. So bringing in you know, someone that can, you know, basically unpack that and be look at a very granular level and say, right, let's break down those building blocks of the business and let's rebuild in a way that is going to be, you know, successful. Um, I don't do anything that's very successful. I very, very much into, um, I mean, I love helping people be successful. That That's my thing. I mean, I... Yeah, that stems back from my, you know, medical background. I'm wanting people to live. I'm wanting people to extend their lives. I'm wanting people to live, you know, their quality of life improve. It's that same mentality, even though it's in business. 
um, and having them you know, put the tools and frameworks in place for them to go, right, we can really work with this and, um, you know, and just yeah, be, be or do the best that they possibly can and be successful. Yeah, I think the problem from a lot of business people, you're so in the business and you're very reactive to day-to-day and it's very hard to actually create the milestones and and basically if you're not measuring and you're very analytical and scientific, if you are not got checks and balances and measurement and feedback, it's going to be very difficult for you to hit your goals, particularly a lot of people I don't think even have business goals. They want to be in business but they don't really know where they want to go, Leanne. And business goals have changed now. Um, and I talk to people about setting, not setting unrealistic goals. I mean, you obviously want to project yourself and you want to have, you know, astronomical, ambitious goals, absolutely. But you know, we need now, especially with what's happening in the environment that we're in, to break the goals down. So rather than having, you know, even with a strategic plan, I do a lot of scenario planning. So whether we would have a, you know, a short-term, a medium-term and a long-term, we need to now break that up even more. It's almost like a, like a club sandwich with, yes. with all the players. And that's, that's how I, you know, I talk about it where, you know, look at the goals for the next month. You know, I mean, yes, we've got to look at the goals for the next six months, 12 months and a year and whatever, but break it down a lot smaller because what I'm finding even from, you know, a, 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 a professional well-being perspective is that we're setting these big goals and we're not achieving them out of our control. The reason why we're not achieving them is because of all these, you know, external variables that we're in. But then yeah, that bounces back on you saying, well, what do I do now? I haven't achieved what I wanted to achieve. So not only does it have a psychological impact, but you start questioning whether you're doing things right or whether you're, you know, making the right decisions. So it's important to break that down a lot smaller. So that's what I actually do a lot with coaching is setting yeah. those milestones and those KPIs that are realistic um, and achievable, uh, but quite often with a bit of a tangent to it that, you know, they haven't thought of, so there's still development going on. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And I think right now, more than ever, we all, all of us, I mean, I have coaches in different areas of my life, and we all need help because and, and, we're, yeah. we're, we live in here in our own heads. Yeah. And you, you've only got your own resources, so it's important and invaluable to be able to reach out and have someone that can bring a, a perspective, in your case, of 25 years of, of experience from a medical and business, sales, psychology. Absolutely love it. I'm going to ask you one final question. You're also an ambassador for Saving Brothers. Leanne, what was it that attracted you to want to become an ambassador for Saving Brothers? Oh, look, I just think the Saving Brothers, I, I don't mean to say movement, but it sort of is a movement, but the whole concept is exceptional. Um, I don't get impressed by a lot um, at all. It takes a lot. Again, I'm, you know, evidence-based and data-driven. I really need, something really needs to sort of hit me and go, wow, that stands out. And when I first met you, Phil, the, not only the passion behind you, but the passion and the mission behind the business and the, the organisation, I guess I should say, is um, you know, there is something very different, very unique about this and support that you know, we are going to be providing for men. Um, I am obviously a, a big talker. I'm on a mission to make men talk um, if they need to. If they don't, that's fine too. But it is important to have a safe area, a psychological safe forum for them to be able to express themselves. And if they're not feeling great, to say, okay, it's all right. I've got tools. I've got people I can speak to. I've got a support network that aren't going to judge me, um, that aren't going to intimidate me and are going to be you know, extremely supportive and caring of the situation that I'm in right now. I don't know. I've been involved in mental health for a long time, but I this is very unique in the way that you've come. Uh, you know, you've you've brought this together, and I I just love it, and I just could not not be part of it. Well, bless you. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you and I are both chatterboxes, and I think we're both empaths as well. We we care and love people. Oh, we want the best for people, and. 
I love sales. Sales is the art of communication. It's it's providing a solution to a to a problem. And yep. I'd like to think at Saving Brothers, really, that's what we're about is, hey, we're aware that men have issues around vulnerability, business issues. They have issues around being proactive with their health. And all these things, I think we can all help each other and support and bring some value. Leanne, as always, I love catching up with you. We always have a great chat. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to, I've am going. i actually got to go and uh, prepare dinner shortly. Cook oh. up a storm. And, uh, yeah, I know, it's pretty amazing, multi-skilling, <laughs> awesome. Like Marcus McPhil. <laughs> That's it. I'll get, even get the Kalamata olives going for the Greeks. <laughs> Maybe not some ouzo tonight, midweek, but anyway, great to catch up with you, Leanne. Have an awesome rest of the week. And, uh, guys, please reach out to Leanne on the platform. You can find her there. So looking forward to having you as part of our family on the journey with us. Keep five alive. Yeah, absolutely. Leon, it was great speaking as always. As always. <laughs> Catch you later. Bye, yeah, brother. Really, this has been a Saving Brothers podcast. Thanks for listening.